Y'all must want out early again, I tell you. <laughs> That's all right. Maybe you will and maybe you won't. This is a big, this is a big issue. I got a lot of text today, which is a good thing. But you're going to have to listen, which is also a good thing, I hope. But uh, I want to share a few things with you that uh, I think are uh, life-changing, transforming, if you want to say that, and hopefully they're eye-opening. We've been in a series on spiritual warfare, and we went through all kinds of different things, and I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. Vices, we're calling these, that sometimes Christians don't understand are spiritual warfare. Well, Christian mentioned about our society being in a mess. I was talking to Karen this past week about reading a passage. I'm just going to read a section of this and then share it with you. But it's in Second Thessalonians. You don't have to turn there. Just listen to what Paul says. He says, Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word, or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. So two things have to happen before the tribulation period happens. Number one, what does he say? The rebellion comes first. What is the rebellion? That's a whole other sermon. But basically, it's an entire apostasy against the God of the Word and the Word of God. And a turning from God's Word to man's mind. So the rebellion comes first, and then the man of lawlessness is revealed. Now, this man of lawlessness was talking about back in the book of Daniel. He is the one who sets himself up to be worshipped and exalted. We would call him the Antichrist or the man who uh, claims the reign this, this man will be revealed first. He is revealed, he is known as the son of destruction, the man of lawlessness who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you I told you these things and now you know what is restraining him so that he may be revealed in his time? What is restraining him? Well, the Holy Spirit is restraining him through the church. Listen to what he says. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Would you agree with that? The mystery of sin is already at work in Paul's. Now, fast forward 2,000 years to where we live. Listen to what he says. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is out of the way. Then the lawless one will be revealed who the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all his power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God will send them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now this phrase that God would send them strong delusion that they might believe the lie, I told Karen I had thought about that for a long time. Ever since I've been in ministry and heard this passage, I never thought I would live in a day where people would believe such lies. I never dreamed there would be a day when a person would believe that a woman is not the only person who could have a baby. This is the day that you and I live in. I never imagined there would be a day in which someone could not tell the difference between a biological male and a biological female. I never thought I would see the day where there was this much utter confusion. And this is in the biological realm, folks. I mean, we're talking about, you know, men can't have babies. I I grew up on a farm. A bull does not have a calf. A female dog has puppies. A male dog doesn't. Now, I'm not trying to be nasty here. I'm just simply saying I want you to hear me for a moment. I never dreamed we would be living in a day where people actually believe this. 
divide over this, fight over this, argue over this, separate over this, cancel people over this. But yet here we are. Translate that into the spiritual world. You know, everything, by the way, is spiritual. All these things are spiritual. There are spiritual false religions. And the Word of God has been completely thrown away, rejected, ignored. You, you are seen as an old bogey. It's not even thought about. You, if you listen to secular society today, even right here in Montgomery County, go to school board meetings, go to this meeting, go to council meetings. God's Word is never even considered. And when it is... It's ridiculed. Now, by the way, don't shoot people in our congregation because I'm saying this. If you're watching online and wanting ammunition, shoot the messenger, not the people who are sitting there because this is, this is my talk. This is my word. But what a terrible, terrible day that you and I live in as far as society. Now, we come here for some refreshment to hear God's word as God's people to know that we are under the authority of God's Word, not secular society. We want to hear what God has to say to us to transform our life, to change us, to make us salt and light in the world, because we don't expect people to believe what we believe. If you and I are still under that expectation, we're in the wrong world. We live in God's realm, not the realm of the enemy. But... The enemy wages spiritual warfare on God's people by deception and falsehood. And this is an interesting analogy, so you have to stay with me here about overcoming false teaching. And as I have been saying, Christians don't oftentimes see issues such as anger, unforgiveness, sexual temptation, suffering, and even false teaching as spiritual warfare. But let me assure you, God's Word says it is. And so if we are going to identify what is true and what is false, uh, we're going to have to do that from the authority of God's Word, not man's opinion. So my passage this morning is in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. So if you have God's Word, you need to turn there because I'm going to come back to it. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. But this would be the text of the day. Paul says, For such men are false apostles deceitful workmen disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. When you look through God's Word, it's very evident that false teachers existed. As a matter of fact, Peter writes this, but false prophets also arose among the people. Now here he's talking about the nation of Israel. You know, prophets like Jeremiah would stand up and say, Thus says the Lord, God is going to judge this nation because of its idolatry, its sinfulness, its uh, taking advantage of the widows and the orphans and putting their children to death on the altar of Baal. God says He's going to judge you. And if you read these Old Testament prophets, another prophet would stand up. Some of them actually acted it out. They would take big bronze horns and they'd put on their head and they'd say, Thus says the Lord God, Israel shall maul down Babylon. Israel shall maul down Assyria, and they'll do it by the power of God. So you got one prophet preaching sin and judgment. You got another prophet preaching blessing and prosperity in the midst of sin. And Jeremiah is sitting here in the midst, going, "What in the world is going on here?" And we're going to look at his passage in just a moment. But you got a contradiction. Peter writes, "Guess what? There were false prophets also among the people." just as there will be false teachers among you. So this is not a question of if there are false teachers. There are. The question is how do you identify them and what are the characteristics of them? So I have to ask a question. Why does God allow false teachers and false teaching to exist? Why didn't he just wipe it off? Well, we want to answer a few of those questions, and one of them is in Deuteronomy chapter 13. So just look on the screen. I put it there so you wouldn't get lost going back and forth. But let me read a couple of these passages that God warned the nation of Israel that there would be false teachers among them, and there was a reason. And here it was. Moses writes, If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder... And the sign or the wonder that he tells you comes to pass. 
And if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer of dreams. Now, hold on a minute. If he predicts something that's going to happen, or he does a sign or a miracle, and it actually happens right in front of your eyes, but he contradicts the word of God and the law of Moses, Moses says, don't listen to him. Now, here's what you have to hear this morning. God has enabled Satan and false apostles to perform miracles. Now, a lot of people don't believe this, but I just read 2 Thessalonians. This man, the false antichrist, is going to be able to do signs and wonders and miracles, and this world is being set up for that stage today. Do you, do you believe me? According to God's word, a man will arise who is going to actually perform miracles and signs and wonders. And let me tell you, the Facebook, Twitter, social media, nightly news, and everybody else is going to flock to this man like you have never seen in your life, and he is going to be the object of worship. And you may say, now that is the most ridiculous thing. Do you really believe so? I mean, can you not see the spirit of deception that is upon our earth today? I mean, folks, we're not just talking about right here in our little hub. We're talking worldwide. Amazing what has happened in just the last few years. And I'm going to preach a message in a couple of weeks uh, on what is happening in this world. Unbelievable. I mean, when you think about what's going on in the, in the Middle East, which is where the epicenter is at, Everything is lining up for the soon return of Armageddon. Let me promise you, Russia, China, Turkey, all these nations over there coalescing and lining up. Absolutely, I I can't, I mean, I've preached about this, I've talked about it, but I am telling you, I am seeing it. It is lining up. Listen to what Jesus said. In the last times there will be wars, rumors of wars, famine, pestilence. What does that mean? Corona. Now Jesus didn't say corona, but just hear me for a minute. Look at the worldwide panic and fear. You say, well, what about the Spanish flu? Yes, I know that. I know that. There was a Spanish flu. There have been other plagues and so forth, and I'm not saying Jesus is coming in the next six months. Please don't misunderstand me. Could be 300 years and could be 2,000 more. But one thing I can say, it's closer today than it was yesterday. And I am telling you, never before has there been a worldwide network like we have now with social media, internet, and all the things that are going on, and the propagated lies that are spreading like crazy, and the crumbling and the disastrous fall that is coming upon the West. Wow. Even if a prophet or a dreamer stands up and and it comes true and he contradicts God's word, don't you listen to him. For the Lord your God is, what does the text say? Testing you. He's testing you, Israel. Why is he testing you? To know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Do you love his word? Do you know his word? Do you believe his word over actually what you see with your eyes? And, and this is where the bottom line comes down to. Do, do we really believe God's Word? Or is it just some figmented book of fairy tales from back centuries and years ago? I mean, either it's the authority and the truth, or it's a lie. And God says to the nation of Israel, I don't care what you see with your eyes or what you hear with your ears. If they contradict my Word, they are not true. So what are you supposed to do? You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him, keep His commandments, obey His voice, and you shall serve Him and hold fast to Him. Well, there's another passage in... Well, let me read the rest of this. But the prophet or the dreamer of dreams shall be put to death in Israel, by the way, because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave by the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk so shall you purge evil from your midst. So the nation of Israel was to deal with these false prophets by means of death. Now look in Deuteronomy 18. I'll put it on the screen. You don't have to turn there. How was Israel going to hear God's message? 
Because they didn't have 66 books. Well, listen to what he says. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. This is Moses speaking. From among you, from your brothers, it is to him you shall listen. So you all help me in the line of succession here. Moses, who was after Moses who spoke for God? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. And then there were some other people who stood up in the book of Judges. And then you have Samuel, right? And then you have the line of the prophets who come after that. So this is what he's saying, exactly what he said happened in God's word. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brother, so he has to be an Israelite. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Mount Sinai on the day of the assembly when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore lest I die. Give us someone to speak to us. So I did. I gave you Moses. The Lord said to me, They're right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he will speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Now, if you remember in uh, the Gospel of John, when Jesus went out, what was it that that, uh, Philip said? We have found him who Moses spoke of. So the succession went all the way down to the prophets, all the way to the person of Christ. And you should write down in your mind there, Hebrews 1. In latter times, God spoke through prophets, but now he has spoken through his son, Jesus, the ultimate prophet. And God would deliver them. But now he says, there's going to be false prophets. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken, the prophet has spoken it presumptuously. Do not be afraid of him. So in Deuteronomy 13 you have, even if somebody performs a miracle and they contradict the law of Moses, don't believe them. In Deuteronomy 18, you have, if someone speaks a truth or makes a prediction or casts a spell upon you and it doesn't come true, 100%, that is a false prophet. False prophet. So one is contradicting God's word. The other is, it doesn't come true. Now, Jeremiah, who I mentioned just a minute ago, was in a battle. If you ever read the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah says one thing, False prophets say another. Jeremiah says one thing, false prophets say another. Listen to what he says in 14.14 about these prophets. This is an intriguing passage. The Lord said to me, this is God's word now, the Lord said to me, the prophets, false prophets, let me read it, are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor did I command them to speak to them, They are prophesying to you a lying vision. Now, what were they saying? I I shared this, but I'll share it again. The nation of Israel was living in total idolatry. You can read the text in Jeremiah. Total idolatry. What were they doing? They had thrown God's word out. They didn't want to hear a word from God. They were living in drunkenness, sin, debauchery, idolatry, They were wicked from the top down, from their political leaders all the way down into the structures of the priests. They were taking advantage of people. They were robbing their money. They were passing laws that were contradictory to God's word. And they were just telling people to live however you want. And God's full blessing will be upon you. Now, that's what was happening. By the way, Uh, Jim Edmondson, if you're watching today, I'll I'll tell this one on him. Jim came by this week and said, Pastor, I have to tell you something. He said, I have been reading the prophet Hosea this past week. He said, I am astounded. He said, I could go right through Hosea's prophecy 
of all of God calling out the nation of Israel. I could scratch Israel out and I could put America in there and it fits every one of them. And Jim said, we are totally given over. Totally given over. So the question was, Israel is living in total rebellion and God's saying, I'm going to judge. You're not going to get by with this. I'm going to judge you. And the false prophets were standing up saying what? Blessing, blessing. God's going to bless you. God's going to prosper you. Oh, prosperity, prosperity. And Jeremiah was preaching judgment. So one of the marks of a false prophet is what? They always preach blessing and not judgment. Mark it down. They do not preach judgment because of sin. They don't preach holiness. They don't preach righteousness. They don't preach the fact that God is a holy judge who is going to require a payment for sin. It's always smooth and people love it and they want to hear it and they want to hear more. People don't like to hear about judgment. You don't build crowds off judgment. You build crowds off prosperity and blessing. But this is what God says. Listen, they are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination, and the deceit of their own minds. Woo! Now, what was happening in the time of Jeremiah, this is how bad the spiritual world had begotten in, in the nation of Israel. They were actually hiring diviners, diviners, from the pagan nations around them to come and cut animals open. This is what the prophet Balaam did, by the way. They would cut them open, they would take their liver, and they would dissect their liver, and they would look at different ways those organ structures were, and they would prophesy and tell people what was going to happen. By the way, Balaam made big money off of kidneys and organs and all things like that, which, by the way, that's an ironic story, if you know the story of Balaam in the book of Numbers. God told the nation of Israel, I will, bless, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And in you all nations of the world shall be blessed. He called Abram and said, I'm going to do that for you. What was Balaam hired to do? To curse Israel. And when Balaam stood up on the mountain and he tried to curse Israel, what happened? He went, and you know, therefore, bless you, O Israel. Out of you the star shall come. You will crush the head of Moab and Ammon. Which, by the way, is where is Moab and Ammon? In the area of Iraq. Lower area below Israel, straight across to the east. I will crush them. All those nations that those prophecies were given are all filled with Islamic peoples now. And that hasn't happened yet. He hasn't crushed them yet. But he will. But the point was, God would bless them. And they wouldn't be able to judge them. But they were preaching the deceit of their own mind through divination, lying visions. I saw this. You know, I, I saw this vision. Be very careful about people that see visions. Very careful. Now, I'm not saying they don't happen. I'm just questioning the source of the vision. And they preach through the deceit of their own mind. Now, this is a whole sermon series in itself. I have heard people say, all that, you know, the Holy Spirit told me this. Spirit told me this. Now, wait a minute for a second. Hold on just a second. I'm not denying the, the intervention of the Holy Spirit in, in our lives and working through our conscience, but let's just put on the brakes for a minute. Sometimes you do things because you want to do them. Or you have convictions about it in your person. Or your personality has that conviction. Don't blame it on the Spirit all the time. Well, the Holy Spirit told me this. Well, He has never told me a thing. And I'm not trying to press that on you. He has never audibly told me, John, go here. John, do that. I've never heard Him speak. I've read God's Word. I've taken principles for God's Word. And He has made those real to me. And he has given me wisdom and direction and guidance, but he's never spoken or sent me an email and told me that I must do this. Now, if your story's different than mine, that's okay. I'm not trying to contradict yours. I just don't believe it. 
Because I don't believe he speaks audibly like that. I'm not saying he can't. I've heard people have told me that. I'm not saying he can't. Here is what I am saying. I don't think it's normative. I don't think it's something he does all the time. Now, by the way, before you write me a letter and tell me that I'm putting God in a box and say, I am not saying God can't do that. Please don't misunderstand me. What I'm saying is sometimes Christians take that sensationalism to a level to where they try to make their own personal conviction or so forth. The Holy Spirit told me to do this and you blame it on God. And this is what Jeremiah says. We are living in the deceit of our own mind. Or can I say it this way? The conviction of your own mind. So be careful blaming things on the Holy Spirit or on God. Just go ahead and take the credit for yourself. You know, I feel like I need to do this. And based upon God's Word and me praying over it, I have peace about it and I'm going to do it. But don't say the Holy Spirit told you that. Okay, enough of that. What are three characteristics of false teachers? Well, we're in 2 Corinthians 11, so turn there. Let me read the first few verses. This is where Paul is being challenged by the super apostles. Listen to what he says. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Remember, in this epistle, he is defending his right as an apostle. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Paul here is presenting himself as a spiritual father. He sees the church in Corinth as his daughter. And what he's saying is this, I came and shared the gospel with you. I am your spiritual father. And my responsibility is to present you to Christ as one who has never slept with another man. When I give you away in marriage, I'm going to give you away as a pure bride, a pure virgin to your husband. And your husband is the Lord Jesus. But look in verse 3, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. You just take it. Listen to what he says. Can't you hear a father talking to his child here? I mean, are you all catching the analogy? You're, you're a pure, chaste virgin... And now somebody's coming in, and what are they trying to do? Spiritually speaking, they're trying to crawl in bed with you. And you're letting them. This is what he's saying. Verse 5, Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles, these ones who come with a different gospel, a different Jesus, a different spirit. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. In other words, Paul says, I know what I'm talking about here. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted? Now what does he mean here? Are you all following me? Because I preach God's gospel to you free of charge. In other words, the super apostles are saying, Paul is a fake and a phony, and here's why. Number one, he's suffering physically. Number two, he doesn't charge you for what he preaches to you. And they were saying about Paul, he is a fake. I mean, you know, we require big money before we come and preach to you and tell you the, what we're going to tell you about how to be really spiritual. I mean, when we put on our conferences, your wallet knows that you've been there. Because it is expensive. And therefore, Paul can't be true because he's just given his away. Listen to what Paul answers the Corinthians. And by the way, he did not charge them a penny because he did this to close their mouth. But he did get support. Look in verse, uh, the rest of that verse, verse 8. I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. Paul says, and when I was with you and was in need, 
I didn't burden anyone from the brothers who came from Macedonia. They supplied my need. The church in Philippi, you remember Philippi? Thank God. Every remembrance I have of you. Why? Because you met my need over and over again. When I was in Corinth and in need and could not ask those people for a red penny, you sent someone over here and gave me funds and enabled me to be able to meet the need and I never took a penny off of them. And Paul was castigated for that. Notice what else he goes on to say. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. I don't want a penny. Never ask for a penny. Don't want a penny. Verse 10, as the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. Because I'm not going to let you give me not one love offering. I'm going to be able to say that I preached to the church in Corinth and never took a penny. Verse 11, and why? Is it because I don't love you, Corinthians? God knows I do. And what I do, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. Oh, you think those, those super apostles could work on our terms? Now, hear me for a minute, folks. Another characteristic of a false apostle is they love money. Okay, hear me. They love money. Number one, always preach blessing. Number two, they love money. And if you want to read Peter over in Second Peter and Jude, they also love sensuality. Deep down in the crevices of their hearts and their soul, they love money and they love sensuality. And I'll just leave it right there. And Peter actually says that. Paul says this. He says they, they go in to gossipy women. You all can read this in, in Paul's letter to Timothy. They go in and what do they do? They prey upon them. One of my theology professors said this, and by the way, this is not a slam toward women. I just want you to hear this. It was a theological statement he made about life. He said, a lot of these false teachers, he says, their audiences are filled with women who have followed them hook, line, and sinker. He said, very few men you'll see there. Now, that doesn't lower the intelligence of women. Please, boy, I'm going to get in trouble today, aren't I? But you know what? I'm, I don't, I'm, I'm not here to try to dodge darts or, you know. I'm telling you, just look. They're searching for something. Maybe in their life, their husband never met the spiritual need. In their life, he was not the spiritual leader. There was no truth. And they found this guy, and he had a message that appealed to them, and they liked it. They supported his ministry. They, they were part of it. But there are underlying reasons there. Their boasted mission, they would work on the same terms. Listen to what Paul says about him, verse 13. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ, and no wonder they're acting just like their father. No wonder, he says, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. You know, from this passage, we realize the devil's not some red thing and with horns and a pitchfork. He is a, if he ever manifests himself, and we don't really know that, he's a spirit being, so I've never seen him. I don't know in the Word of God where it says that he actually manifested himself in a physical presence. Have you ever found that in God's Word where Satan was actually physically seen? He is a spirit being. Yes, he spoke to Jesus. Yes, he's real. We know that. He's not a figment of the imagination. But he can't be seen. So do, do we say he's not real because he can't be seen? He's a spirit being? He's real, folks. And the way he's seen is he manifests himself through people who appear as angels of light, preaching prosperity and blessing, sensuality. Live however you want to. 
It doesn't matter about your sexuality or your morality or any. Live however you want and live it up. Are you listening to me? That is an angel of light. I don't care if it comes on the nightly news. I don't care if it comes on a TV show. I don't care if it comes from a college professor in a classroom teaching the religion of secular humanism. That is a religion. Or it comes from the pulpit of quote-unquote churches who have thrown God's word away and preached the deceitfulness of their minds, blessing the sin that God curses and still functioning under the name of a church. You all say, boy, you're nasty. This is warfare. This is warfare. So what do you do in warfare? Do you just sit back and go, oh, watch that. Oh, they're being, sh- look at it. No, you get involved. You, you do something. You say something. You point something out. And sometimes you have to call people by names. As bad as that is. But people have to be warned about falsehood. You know, some people laughed at me for talking about the horoscope. Do you know that is a religion, by the way? You, don't, please don't ever turn in the paper and read your horoscope. Going, oh, this is what my day is going to be like based upon my horoscope. You know, I'm a Scorpio. Have you ever studied that? Palm readers. Karen and I, back before COVID, were walking around Blacksburg, and there was a girl with teal purple hair walking around. She had a palm reading station set up in Blacksburg. People loved it. It had incense coming up out of it. All kinds of witches' detail and paraphernalia in there. And I mean, she, she walked out in front of us, and Karen and I were actually walking behind her. Listen to me, folks. I could sense the evil. The evil. And people just standing there waiting to have their fortunes told, waiting to talk to their dead relatives, waiting to hear a a word from the spiritual world. And what are we supposed to say in the church? That's okay? Well, the world will do that. Please don't you ever do it. And don't ever justify it. It's not right. And, you know, I was made fun of for talking about yoga. Y'all, do you all understand what yoga really is? Now, I understand the stretching and the exercise. That's fine. Yoga is a religion. It is to so get your body and your mind coalesced that you enter the Kung Fu Panda stage. Okay? <laughs> Master Uguay. Y'all had to torment it with those shows. I mean, inner peace. Your body and your soul connects with the universe and you're just like, that's pantheism. And when you're laying there in your yoga pose and they're saying, deep breath, breathe in the Spirit. Oh, yeah, you're breathing in a Spirit. Feel the inner peace. That is not what God tells believers to do. Find another exercise program. You know, do CrossFit or something. Something easy. (laughs) But yoga, I mean, I'm just telling you. I'm, I'm just telling you what it is. That is what it is. And I could go all the way down the rabbit list there of all the things that are out there today that are just deceiving people like crazy. But now hear me for a minute. You ever wonder why you can't pick up God's Word and read it and love it? You ever wonder why you're not drawn to it or you're not attracted to it? You don't want to get into it and read it and think about it and meditate on it? You know, it's spiritual warfare. And when we fill our lives with other things, it drives a wedge between us and God's Word. And something else, by the way, that you can just put down in your hip pocket, that another professor made a statement to us one time that never left me. Listen to what he said. He said, the biggest critics of God's Word know the least about it. They don't know it. Criticize, critique, but don't know it. So what is the bottom line here? The bottom line is Satan can't be seen, but his messengers can, and they present themselves as angels of light. Verse 15, So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Servants of righteousness. 
It goes along with this same line. They preach what? Blessing. Prosperity. Healing. And right on down the list. And so Paul says that they present themselves as servants of righteousness. Now, I want to speak for just a moment about three characteristics. I've already given you three. Here's three more. Three more. Number one, they're deceitful in their message. Deceitful in their message. Go back up to verse 3. Look at what Paul says. Just verse 4. If someone comes and proclaims another Jesus. Are, are there other Jesuses, by the way? People say, oh, no, there's just one. Are you kidding me? There are Jesuses everywhere. There's a Jesus of the Mormons. Who is the Jesus of the Mormons? He, he is not God, fully God. He was a created being. Did you know that? Created being. There's the Jesus of the Jehovah's Witnesses. Who is he? He is not God, fully God. He is a God. Okay, you say, well, you just pick on them too all the time. Okay, let me preach this one. There's the Jesus of liberal theology. Who is that Jesus? He was a good man. He was an example. He's the one that you should ask the question, now what would Jesus do? What would he do? Doesn't matter what he would do. What did he do? That's the bottom line. What did he do? He provided the only sacrifice that's given by God's grace fully, freely, and completely to take away your sin and you can't do one thing but believe and accept it. Not one thing can you do except believe it and embrace it. You can't add one thing to it because if you do, you take it all away. They proclaim another Jesus. This Jesus that they preach, what does he do? He embraces and endorses all of the sensuality out there. He loves all. Are you, are you listening to me? This is the Jesus of liberal theology. This Jesus, they would say, would celebrate the rainbow flag. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? He would not celebrate it. Now, stop for a moment. Did he die for the sins of those who are under that rainbow flag? Absolutely. Did he pay the price for their sin? Absolutely. Would he redeem them? Absolutely he would. But don't you dare say he celebrates it. Because that is opposite of the Jesus of the Bible. Opposite. The Jesus of the Bible is not the Jesus of the woke culture. The Jesus of liberal theology is the Jesus of the woke culture. And when you see that, folks, listen to me, there is another Jesus. Plenty of other Jesuses. It's not the one in the Word of God. I get passionate about this. You know, if, if I didn't get passionate about that, I'd quit preaching. I'd quit. I'd go do something else. I believe this with all of my heart and every fiber of my being. There is another Jesus. Look at the second thing he says. Or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received. What, what does this mean, a different spirit? When Paul came and preached the gospel of the grace of God by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus as the only and yet the full payment for sin, what happened to the Corinthians? They were immediately placed into the body of Christ by spirit baptism and they were filled with the Spirit. Those are two separately and distinct things. Spirit baptism is positional truth. The moment you trust Christ as Savior, you're placed in the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. You were all baptized by one Spirit into one body. That's what spirit baptism is. The filling of the Spirit is the empowering of His Spirit to do His Word and His work. Paul says this, but if somebody else came along and preached a sensational gospel from another Jesus and it made cold chills go up you and goosebumps go down your spine and you went, ooh, I know how that made me feel. It had to be true. That story that he told, it brought tears to my eyes. By the way, another character, 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 catcher, <laughs> can't even talk. 
characteristic of a false teacher? They are masterful storytellers. You know, they teach you something in preaching, and I try to avoid it as much as I can. And that is, you always tell a story that brings emotion and tears to the listener's ears because you connect their emotions with the message. It's not all bad. I want you to hear me something. When you connect somebody's emotions opposite of the truth of God's Word, that is really bad. That is really bad. If I sat up here and told you stories about people who were living in sin, and I told you heartbreaking stories about them so that you would celebrate their sin, I would be in error. Did you hear me? Or if I tried to make you feel sorry for that or that movement, that is error. And I don't care how you had goosebumps or what happened to you. That's a different spirit. And by the way, when you read God's Word, there are a lot of spirits. A lot of spirits. And yes, they love another home. And they love to distort truth. Another Jesus, another spirit. And are you ready for this one? Paul says, if you receive... A different gospel. A different gospel from the one you accepted. Are there different gospels out there? Oh, brother. Where where do we even start? What are some gospels? Well, we have the gospel of prosperity. What is that? You accept Jesus. He'll make you rich. He'll prosper you. You won't suffer. He'll heal you. And if you love Him and live for Him, all of your life is going to be health, wealth, and prosperity. I'm going to tell you something. That's a false gospel. That is a false gospel. Because they can't get out of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the first part of the book of Acts to prove that. And all of that period, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, was the ministry of Jesus where He came to this earth to prove that He had power over the spiritual realm and the physical realm and the natural realm. And he did miracles to authenticate his message, and so did the apostles. But when you get over into the church epistles, you don't see that. We, we read it last week. Paul suffered. Suffered. Begged God to take it away. He was poor. He would have never fit Benny Hinn's style, would he? or Creflo Dollar, or you may go on down the list, T.D. Jakes, and all the rest. I'm not saying those guys don't have lines of truth, but I'm saying the ultimate end lines up with what we're saying. Another gospel. The gospel of prosperity. There's a gospel of liberalism. What is that? This one is intertwined, by the way. And this is what it basically says. God did His part. You have to do your part. And if your part, good part outweighs the bad part of you, then guess what? God will just come over and help tip the scale a little bit and he'll, He'll get you in. That's a false gospel. Because there's not one thing you can do. It's already done. All we can do is accept and embrace, once again, the gospel of the grace of God by giving the Lord Jesus Christ, who was fully God and fully man, to pay the penalty of our sin and to take our sin and give us His righteousness. That is the gospel of the grace of God that you can't add anything to. And by the way, just a side note here. The moment you add one thing to the gospel, you actually subtract from it. You add one thing. You add church attendance. You add Bible reading. You add prayer. You add tithing. You add being a good person and not saying any dirty words. Anything you want to add to it, you've actually taken away from it. Because there's not one thing you or I can do in addition to the gospel of the grace of God. Not one thing. A different Jesus, a different spirit, a different gospel. I can go on down the line. But you get the point, right? There's also a gospel of entertainment. 
You can look that one up. The gospel of entertainment. Very interesting. Gospels, gospels, gospels. Paul says if you receive a different gospel, listen to what he told the Corinthians. You don't even know that it's false. Now, I stop this and I say this. I know you better than that. And thank God when some of our people hear of a false gospel, they point it out and say, that is wrong. That is not right. That is wrong. And they're not afraid to say that. And I thank God for that because that's what needs to happen, by the way. We have to be enraptured by the gospel of the grace of God, which is the truth of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And you've got to know what the gospel is, folks. The, the biblical gospel. Don't let people add anything to it and don't take anything away from it. Because it's about what is done for us, not what we do. That's the difference. Done and do. Done is correct. It is done. Do is incorrect. You can't do anything except what? Believe, accept, embrace. All right, have I pounded enough on that? I'm, I am passionate about that. Paul actually said in Galatians chapter 1, you should write this down in your mind. He, he went, can you imagine having this ministry? You go around, you preach the gospel, the grace of God, in the free gift of Jesus Christ, and some rat comes in behind you and starts telling people, now you've got to get rid of the tattoos. You've got to pull the earrings out of your ears. You've got to quit wearing this kind of pants. You've got to wear a dress to church. You've got to wear, th- you don't wear this. You don't wear, and this is what was happening. Boy, Paul was irritated. Oh, he was so angry. He came into the Galatians. By the way, in the book of Galatians, he doesn't even say hello. He says, this is Paul the apostle, appointed by Jesus and not by man, but by God alone. I am astounded that you have forsaken the gospel that I preached to you for another gospel in which there is no other gospel. Oh, he just, I mean, boom, boom, boom. You're talking about rapid fire, and that's how you get an introduction out of the way. There is no other gospel. And then he goes on, and in the clearest words he says this, whoever preaches a gospel different than the gospel that I delivered to you, I don't care if it's an angel from above, let it be damned. And in case you didn't hear that, Paul says, I said let it be damned. It's the strongest language of condemnation in the New Testament. You want to know why? Why? Let me, let me say this. Because when a, when a believer embraces a different gospel other than the gospel that they have received, their life is a total waste in the eyes of God. They get to the judgment seat of Christ as a believer who accepted the true gospel, and they've lived their life on the basis of a lie and a false gospel. Guess what happens to all their Christian works? Paul says, I've run in vain. You should read his New Testament letters. He says, I fear that I have, because I fear I have run in vain. I went there and invested my life. Now you've believed another gospel, and now your life is in that direction, and I've just wasted my, my time. Because at the judgment seat of Christ, there will be no fruit in that Christian life because they believed and embraced and started living for a different gospel. And by the way, the job of every pastor is to do what? To prepare God's people after they've accepted the gospel of the grace of God is to prepare them for the judgment seat of Christ. That's why we pound all the time. Get your relationships worked out here on earth. Make sure that you're living your life, investing it for eternity, because you're not going to live in heaven forever. That's the biggest misnomer of God's people. People think, I'm going to live in heaven forever. No, you're not. You're going to live in the eternal kingdom forever. Heaven is coming back to earth. And we're going to live in an eternal kingdom on the new earth with the new heaven upon it. And God will dwell there in righteousness and we will live with Him. And by the way, that's the truth. Warren Wiersbe writes, Satan is a counterfeiter. 
He has a false gospel, preached by false ministers, producing false Christians. Satan planted his counterfeits wherever God plants true believers. You can think about that one for a while. Woo. Second characteristic, they're dis- dis- disguised as servants of righteousness. I think I've pounded that in the ground. They come across as slick-tongued storytellers, wonderful, wonderful in their appearance, and they appear to be servants of righteousness. Paul said in Acts chapter 20, I know after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. By the way, that's another characteristic of a false teacher is he always wants to monopolize people. People people have to bow before him. I know a pastor friend of mine, and I also heard another one. I'll just tell you this one. This is what he said. He said that there was a false teacher in his area, and he wanted to meet with him. He said, do you know that I went to that false teacher, and that false teacher wanted me to come to his home? He said, when I walked in his home, he told me, get on your knees and confess your sin right there at the coffee table before we talk. This pastor said, I looked at him and said, I absolutely refuse. I will not do it. He said, you mean to tell me you're refusing to get your sin right with God? And he said, no, I'm refusing to bow because you tell me to. You may tell everybody else to bow. I'm not bowing for you. I came to talk to you about something else. That power, that sway. And this is the kind of guy that jumps up on the seats out here and starts romping and stomping up and down. You're going to do this. And all the people are like, and you know, for some reason, people, they like that. Some people like that. They like people to scream at them. Sometimes I go in these old country churches and preach, and you know what people say? Stepped on my toes today, preacher. I like that. You need to yell a little bit more next time. No, I'm not going to yell. I'm not yelling. I'm not stomping, you know, preaching with you, okay? One writer wrote, The wolves in the church that devour sheep do not howl and bare their teeth. They come in sheep's clothing, smiling, reciting Scripture, full of understanding, promising something more than Christ. Yeah, money, health, wealth, blessing, prosperity. D.A. Carson wrote this, From the time of the fall to the present day, men and women have frequently succumbed to the deceptive devices of the devil. Christians are especially open to the kind of cunning deceit that combines the language of faith and religion with the content of self-interest and flattery. We like to be told how special we are, how wise we are, how blessed we are. Listen to what Carson says. We like to have our Christianity shaped by less by the cross and more by triumphalism. Or rules or charismatic leaders or subjective experience. And if this, is, if this shaping can be coated with the assurances of orthodoxy, quoted with scripture, complete with a cliché, we may not detect the presence of the arch deceiver in the message at all nor see that we are being weaned away from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ into a different gospel. Wow. Three, they will be doomed. Every false teacher will be doomed. Paul says in 11.15, I've already turned away, but I'm going to go back. What does he write? Their end will correspond with their deeds. What does that mean? They will be judged based upon what they preach. Now, what does Jude say? I want to just turn here. I put it on the screen for you. Just, I want to read through this. Just kind of let it soak in. He says, You must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus. They said to you, quote, In the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. 
Who, what is a scoffer, by the way? Proverbs talks about it. It's a person who knows about God's ways and just says, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. By the way, they hold a lot of PhDs and they teach in a lot of major universities today. Scoffers. Following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith, the Word of God, this is what what we're doing, we're building ourselves up in the most holy faith, and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus that will lead us into eternal life in the eternal kingdom that's coming. That, that's what we're to do. Be faithful to God's Word. Doesn't matter if they scoff. Doesn't matter if they laugh. Doesn't matter if they mock. Doesn't matter if they persecute. Doesn't matter if they cancel. You keep on in the love of God. You keep on in God's Word. You keep on praying. You keep on being faithful. And what does he say? Now, get this. And have mercy on those who doubt. You know what you believe. You know where you're grounded. But there are people who are still, is this right or is this wrong? Have mercy on them. Don't, Don't beat them over the head. Don't try to beat them into salvation. You you let the Lord do that. He's big enough. He can do that. You don't think God can handle a little little individual human? He can take care of that. Have mercy on them. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. There are some who are in the fire. They need to be drug out. They trusted Christ as their Savior. And guess what? I mean, they're, they're falling in the fire. Drag them out, he says. They're... They're believers, save them. So mercy to the doubter, snatching of the one in the fire, to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment that is stained by the flesh. Notice this paradox here. You have the person that you're showing mercy to while at the same time hating their sin. By the way, if you have people in your family who live the LGBT lifestyle like we do and profess to be believers, we still love them because they are part of our family. But we tell them we don't, we we love you, but you know we disagree with what you do. As long as those two things are clear, but we love you as a person. This is what Jude's saying here. Show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. And now, to him who is able to keep you as a believer that's loving God's Word and praying in the Spirit and staying in the truth, who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. You know, I I can't just read over that. Listen to what he just said. He is able to present you blameless in the presence of His glory. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, you're, you're in third heaven. The glory of God. The glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ. What does He do? He gets you and He's able to take you before the glory of God which no man can ever see or look at. And what's Jesus able to do? He's able to take you there in His righteousness and present you what? Blameless. in the presence of His glory. And He's able to do it with joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time and forevermore. Amen. And this is the true Jesus. Stay grounded.
Father, thank you for your word. And that even in the midst of spiritual warfare and false teaching and deception and plagues and all of the chaos in the world, we know the truth of your word. We get to live it. We get to preach it. We may have to suffer for it, but we know it's true. And Father, I thank you for the privilege we have to do that this morning. Bless every person who has endured through this long but needed message on this chaotic world that has lost its way of knowing right from wrong. May that never be said about this church, these people, and other faithful churches, Lord, in our world. May we stick to the Word of God, and may the Spirit of God bless His truth. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.